So we are back now in our series on the Lord's Prayer, walking through this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And uh, it's, it's good. I'm, I'm excited because it's practical usually, um, and it is, it's just, just good to take time on each of these lines. At the very beginning, I think I, I said like different ways people have prayed this prayer, right? Some people recite it all the time and just, just you know, as you're washing your hands, you can recite the whole prayer. But another way is just to take, to take a line, a petition, and, and make that your theme for the week. And each week, you can be considering what does it mean, to, uh, holy is your name, and that's your theme to consider and pray. As we, as we jump back into the series, there are two things I want to remind us of. The, the first is that this prayer flows out of the confident knowledge that God loves us and cares for us. We don't make, say this prayer to make God love us more, but we are responding to the invitation of God and God's love for us. We are responding to God's invitation to be known by God. And so this prayer flows out of that confident knowledge that God loves us. Second, when we pray this line, our Father, what we are doing is we are calling to mind the liberation of the Exodus story. We are trusting in a good God who loves the good and the bad, the sinner and the holy. And to pray to God as our Father is to speak hope where there is no hope. To speak of deliverance and salvation of the slaves who become free. It is to become apprentices, learning from God what it means to work with God to bring about his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, which we will talk about more next week. So this brings us then to the second line of the Lord's Prayer, which says, Jesus says, holy is your name. Or maybe you grew up like me with like a more traditional uh, phrase, and we would say, hallowed, hallowed be thy name, right? Now, I went and I, I did some looking, and, and I'd like to read you some of the translations for this verse, okay? So the, the Common English Bible says, may you uphold the holiness of your name. The NLT, may your name be kept holy. The message, reveal who you are. The NIV, NRSV, NASB, and ESV all have some form of hallowed be thy name or hallowed be your name. The CEV, help us honor your name. Uh, N.T. Wright's paraphrase is may your name be honored and the CSB is may your name be honored as holy. And so the, the sheer variance of translational options is very humbling and clearly our best and brightest translators disagree exactly on what this phrase means. Um, some, like the Common English Bible, which, spoiler alert, is my favorite translation, speak of God's action. That God would make his name holy. The NLT and message both sort of go that way, right? May, reveal who you are. Make your name holy. Others, like the CEV, take the exact opposite approach, and they say it's actually something that we do to God. Help us, um, may, uh, may your, oh no, CEV, help us honor your name. So one translation, God make your name holy, and another translation is help us make your name holy. God's action or our action? What are we asking for? So I, so I knew that when I was forming our services 
for this church that I wanted us to build into our lives repetition and things that we did every week to help form us. I wanted this repetition of Jesus' prayer to be part of our services. And I think there's a lot to be said for repetition. It it can get very boring, and it can just become this thing that you say over and over. But I I really liked what the theologian Stanley Haueros wrote. He said, evangelicalism doesn't have enough repetition in a way that will form Christians to survive in a world that constantly tempts us to always think we have to do something new. When we repeat fixed prayers, several thousand years of faith begin to shape us and pray through us, providing solid solidarity amid the subjectivity of our fragmenting culture with all God's people. And then he says this, he says, going through the motions, as every dancer knows, can be an important thing to do. So I like that image of a dancer, right? As a dancer learns a new dance, they practice over and over and over. They stand in front of a mirror and they lift their leg and they lift their leg and they lift their leg until it becomes second nature that when they lift, their leg goes to the same spot every time that on this beat, they're in this spot. And a good dancer becomes a great dancer by repetition, by going through the steps over and over and over and over. And there is something to be said for repetition. As we pray the Lord's Prayer week after week, it becomes embedded in our hearts. It becomes second nature to us. And so I was very intentional as I was creating the format for our worship times that this would be part of it. But then I was like, but what language do we use? What translation of the Lord's Prayer do we use? What's the language that's helpful for us? And, and as I was looking through it, I was like, from what I can find, the word hallowed, hallowed hit its peak usage in society in 1850. And so how is that word, you know, the word that's steadily declined in popularity over the last 200 years, Uh, How is that word going to help us integrate our faith and our practice into today? Because I don't even know what that word means. (laughs) What does the word hallowed mean? How do I use it? How do do you know? And I didn't want us just to say words that we didn't know what they meant. And so I opted for a simple declaration. And I said, let's just say, holy is your name, Which, which captures much of what Jesus is teaching, although it does also have some drawbacks as a translation. So I've known that since we've started four years ago. Um, You now know, too, that holy is not the best translation. Um, So maybe it's helpful to go back to this old English word, hallowed. What does it mean? Two ways the word can be used. The, The first is it can be something that is honored as holy. So, for example, the Ganges is a hallowed, or the Ganges is hallowed as sacred cleansing river. So it's a holy river. It's a place that people go to get cleansed in the Ganges River. Or it can be made mean to, to make holy, like the priest hallowed the wine and the wine became holy. So it can be a, a, a word to describe something, or it can be a word used to describe an action of it. It is either an essence of holiness or made holy, set apart, other, revered, honored. 
Now, this is helpful, but as you know, the Bible wasn't written in English. Uh, Jesus wasn't teaching this prayer in English. And I can with some confidence tell you that Jesus never said the word hallowed. Um, rather, Jesus probably spoke Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. And the New Testament was written in Greek. And the word hallow is not one that I want to attempt for you, but it goes like this. If you have a paper, you could write it out. H-A-G-I-A-S-T-H-E with a little line above it. T-O with a little line above it. Hagiasteto. Okay. The word in Greek means to honor, sanctify, set apart, to, to treat with the highest respect. But if you consider the context of the prayer, the petition that Jesus is teaching, it seems to refer to the divine action, not human action. So in other words, that common English Bible translation seems to grasp the Greek word in its context the best. Uphold the holiness of your name. Or maybe if I was dare to tread into translational waters, I might say it like this. Our Father in heaven, make your name holy. Scott McKnight suggests that this request is that God would act in a way that glorifies himself. Sort of like in John 12, 28, Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven and says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. In a broken world, where people have dishonored the name of God through sinful lives, Jesus invites us to ask God to come and act in a way that brings God's kingdom order and displays God's rule in the world. It is a request that God would act in a way that brings honor and reverence to God's own name. I love McKnight. He says, But the point isn't to shame us into living the right way, to get us more obedient. Rather, this is a petition for God to act. To pray, Holy is your name, is to request God to move and act, to bring his kingdom here, and so to display God's rule. And the temptation, I think, is for us is to think that this is a call for us to do something. But as I've sat with this text, I'm more and more convinced that this is not about us holying or hallowing or making God's name holy, but it is about requesting God to make God's own name revealed and holy and showing the world God's goodness of God's creation, power, and wonder. So I'm reminded of the Psalms, and how many times the psalmist says things like, how long will my enemies make a mockery of me? Or how long will the nations gloat over your people? Over and over, the Psalms describe these terrible life situations where individuals or corporately, the people are in crisis. Things have gone badly. Their enemies mock them. People suffer, and they look to God, and they ask, how long, Lord? Will you come and make your name holy again? When will you come and rescue us? When will you prove to those that cause injustice, violence, oppression, who practice greed and selfishness and pride, that you are the ruler of the earth? That your way of justice, your way of peace, your way of love is the strongest, truest force in the world. How long, Lord, until you come and make your name holy, revered, 
and honored in the land. Come, Lord, do that again now. Consider the way it's used in Ezekiel 36, 22. It says this, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, the Lord God proclaims, house of Israel, I am not acting for your sake, but for the sake of my holy name, which you degraded among the nations where you have gone. I will make my great name holy, which was degraded among the nations when you dishonored it among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. The people sin. They degrade God's holy name. And God says, I'm going to make my name holy again among you. So this is firstly about God's action and not ours. Now, though, I do believe that discipleship means following in the way and the model of Jesus. And so we see this example in Jesus, even in John, that God glorifies his name, but Jesus also seeks to honor it in the sight of those around them by obeying the Father and in living such a way that the holiness, justice, righteousness of God is shown and made known on the earth. I think that's a lot about what that next line, your kingdom come. These two lines are so tied to each other. So we're invited to join with God in making God's name holy. So if Ezekiel 36 is all about God's action to make his name known, Ezekiel 39 speaks also of our role. Ezekiel 39, 27 to 29, it says, God says there, when I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of the enemies, I will, make, I will be made holy through them in the sight of many nations. They will know that I am the Lord, their God, when after I made them go into exile among the nations, I gathered them to their land. I won't leave them behind. And when I pour my spirit upon the house of Israel, I won't hide my face from them again. This is what the Lord God says. So first he says, you've degraded my name. I will make it holy. And three chapters later he says, I will make my name holy through you. Through these people I will do this. And so the role for us is both. It is God's liberating and saving, rescuing his people and their lives lived out in public that bring holiness to God's name. I love what the third century North African bishop Cyprian said. He says, we say this not wishing that God should be made holy by our prayers, but asking, that the, asking the Lord that his name should be hallowed in us, that his name would be made holy in us. See, God is already holy. Our prayers don't make God worthy of these things. We already know that God is the perfect community of love, of three in one, sharing in the fullness of the Trinity. Our prayers don't change or make God somehow holy. God is already perfect in holiness and in power. This power, this prayer is not about changing God. It is about asking God to make his holiness known in the world. And in us. So if you grew up in the church, uh, chances are pretty good that you heard of the acronym ACTS for praying. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication as a model of prayer. The first prayer being, uh, letter being adoration, uh, of the, the giving of love and respect and worship to another person. And it seems to me that, that within this request that God would make his name holy, in the world and reveal his saving power and otherliness of, the God, of our God, our response is to allow God's presence to grow in us 
And part of the way we do that is by giving praise and worship to God. In the scriptures, God is often seen surrounded by the angels and other heavenly beings who declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In some small way then, even every time we pray this prayer, when we say, holy is your name, we are learning the language of heaven. We are learning and we are declaring with all of the unseen world, God, you are holy. You are perfect in love. You are perfect in relationship. And you welcome me into your love. So I love how the psalmist writes, let my whole being bless the Lord. Let everything inside me bless his holy name. Let my whole being bless the Lord and never forget all of his good deeds, how God forgives all of your sins, heals all of your sickness, saves your life from the pit, crowns you with faithful love and compassion, and satisfies you with plenty of good things so that your youth is made fresh like the eagles. That's one of my favorite psalms in the Bible. Now, the obvious reality is that not all of those blessings are experienced in this moment. David lost a son to sickness. David lived in caves and pits for years of his life. David sinned and experienced the weight of those consequences in his life and his children's life. And yet, David writes, let my whole being bless the Lord. Let everything inside me bless his holy name. This is why sometimes I think when we sing worship songs, we can struggle with them. The words don't always seem to fit with our reality of where we are at in the moment. It's why when when we do our prayer request and sharing time, I ask you also to be open to share your struggles, not just the great things. But my hope, is in a holy God who will uphold the holiness of his name, who will work to bring the deliverance to all people, who is working now to reconcile the whole world to himself. I believe in a holy God who is full of good deeds, who forgives all of our sins, who heals sickness, who saves lives from the pit, and who delights in pouring faithful love and compassion on us. The holy God who satisfies us and renews us with good things. And sometimes that faith wavers. And it becomes a time for someone else to pick up the chorus and sing, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And sometimes we don't feel that. Sometimes we sing that more as a hope (laughs) that it's true rather than the reality that we are experiencing. And that is okay. I believe it's true. I believe that one day the God of love will be fully revealed and the perfection of God will shine unmatched by everything else. And until that day, I want God's holiness seated in my own heart. I want to act in ways that will strengthen and grow that. And so I think we are invited to worship, to adoration, even when we don't feel like it. Or maybe especially if you don't feel like it. To declare that God is holy with our whole being, with everything inside of us, even when we don't feel that way, is not great, 
for it is a great and costly act of worship. So Pete Gregg writes in his book, How to Pray, this is an act of will. Instead of waiting to worship until I feel like it, I begin to thank God for the evidence of his love in my life, often speaking it out loud until my feelings fall in line with the facts. The writer of Hebrews urges us to offer to God a sacrifice of praise. What could be more sacrificial than praying when I don't feel like it? And I suspect that unemotional worship the kind that feels a bit forced and fake, is precious to God. Precisely because it's so costly. It's not fake. It's costly. And sometimes we just need to declare and adore God for who God is to help us get everything lined up. God is not made holy by your prayers, but God will make himself known as holy. We pray that God's good kingdom will come. And we hope and pray that even when we don't feel like it, even when we're struggling, that we can offer a sacrifice of praise, adoring God, declaring his holiness, trusting that even when we don't see it, you're working, because he never stops. He never stops working. Holy is Amen.